really appreciated, I don't know how many of you were able to be here last week, but really appreciated Rob's message uh, out of Luke 2.52. He called it Grow Like Jesus. What a great title, right? Yeah, that's what we all ought to do, grow like Jesus. It was very practical, very challenging. One of the things that uh, Rob mentioned was that if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to have two things. And I'll say in addition to, and he said this as well, we've got to have God's grace. We've got to have his empowerment. God has to help us grow. But he gave us a part, a part to play in our sanctification. And Rob mentioned two things, desire and discipline. Desire and discipline. We've got to have both. That's our part to play by God's design. It, it's not self-reliant. Christianity. It's completely dependent upon God, but we do have to play a part. Now, one of the most historically common, but currently neglected uh, ways of going after that, expressing discipline and desire, is the activity or the habit that we're going to talk about today. That is fasting. Now, you may or may not be familiar with that. I'm sure you have all kinds of thoughts, maybe some questions about that. So I hope that today will be super helpful. Uh, One author called it the kale of the spiritual disciplines. (laughs) We know it's good for us. We just don't look for it on the menu, right? We're going after a lot of other stuff. So wherever we are this morning, it's okay. We're going we're gonna to figure out what fasting is and why we should do it, okay? So let's ask that first question. What is fasting? You can find it all through our Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Biblically, it is uh, abstaining completely or partially from food, For the purpose of focused attention on God, his purposes, and his activity. That's just a good general description of what it is. Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, he says this about fasting. It is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function, eating, for the sake of intense spiritual activity, communing with God. So you set aside eating so that you can really focus on connecting with the Lord. Tony Evans said this in talking about fasting. It's the deliberate abstinence from physical gratification for a greater spiritual goal. Those are all really good descriptions. I would say it's a reasonable response to our desperate condition. And... uh, no surprise, we, we had one of the best illustrations I have seen in my lifetime just this last Monday evening. I don't know how many of you were watching Monday Night Football. Um, certainly you have heard about it. Damar Hamlin makes a tackle, gets up, staggers a little bit, falls to his back, unconscious, and then we learn later his heart stopped. Now, that all by itself is staggering. 
But I'm sure if you were watching, you saw how everybody was responding, the players, the coaches, the analysts, the fans, everything stopped, right? And then the most amazing thing of all, everybody began to pray. It was like we were all confronted with the ultimate enemy of life, death. And what did we do? We cried out to the author of life, asking for his help, for his intervention. It was interesting, uh, obviously, everybody's scrambling, right? And they go to... uh, the, the desks of analysts and they're all talking about it and trying to sort it out on the fly. And uh, one of them is sort of asking about, so like, how, are, how do the players kind of get their mindset back and kind of get back in the game and get ready to go? And another guy that was one of the analysts who was a former player, he, he basically said, lady, this is not about football. The, the game is set aside we're focusing on DeMar Hamlin and his life. That's what matters right in this moment. So everybody was willing to push pause on one of our greatest entertainments in life in order to think and address the desperate need at hand. I think that's a great way to think about fasting because our condition is a whole lot more like DeMar's than it is like anything else. It is a desperate condition, and we need to press pause. One way I describe fasting is this. It's a grace-infused practice of abstaining from food in order to make room for growing spiritual attentiveness, awareness, and maturity. That's what it is, and we're going to get around to why we do it. But uh, one other kind of general way to think about fasting is a way that uh, Paul and others often talk about just growth in the Christian life. They talk about putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. I want to read you one of the primary passages where Paul describes this. This is in Colossians, but there's plenty of other places we'll actually see this morning. But this is in Colossians 3, 1 through 10. Let me read this to us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, or that was just a way of life for you when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, 
malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That's that desperate condition I was describing. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I want to just notice a couple of things there in that passage. Notice the concrete intentionality throughout. Lots of action words. Putting to death, putting off, putting on. It's prioritizing eternal heavenly things over temporal earthly things. Now we know that there's plenty that goes on in life. Things that we actually do need like food each and every day. But what Paul's talking about is making sure everything is in its proper place. And sometimes you have to even take good, normal things and set them aside so that you can reorient to what matters most. That's the idea of putting off and putting on. Fasting is temporarily but purposefully setting aside earthly provisions to feast upon heavenly realities. That's what this practice is about. And it's an object lesson for all of life. It confronts our inclination to settle for immediate gratification at the expense of eternal reward. Uh, Another place that Paul talks about this is in Romans 13. Listen to these words. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Again, the intentionality there. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We're going to talk about what flesh is. To gratify its desires. Put off so that you can put on and live in the light. And that that begins to take us toward answering our second question. Why do it? Why would we fast? Isn't it kind of archaic? Isn't it kind of primitive? Or isn't it just for the spiritually elite? Like the really, really godly people, maybe monks and nuns. Jesus assumed that we would fast. Did you know that? In Matthew 6, when he was teaching his disciples about fasting, there's just this little phrase in there. When you fast, he fully expected that that was going to be a a part of life for them. Now, if you go backwards in history, it's very strange if you're not fasting. It's only been in more recent years that it's strange if you are. In Matthew 9, 15, 
the religious leaders were criticizing Jesus' disciples because they weren't fasting. That gives us an idea of kind of how they thought about that practice. And here's what Jesus said to them. The days will come when the bridegroom, speaking of himself, is taken away from them, and then they will fast. He was saying, when I'm with them, it's like you're at a wedding party. Nobody's going to say, hey, put all the food away. No feasting here. So he said, it doesn't make sense while I'm here, but when I'm gone, there is going to be an important place to put off so that you can put on and live well in the waiting until I return. That's where fasting has its place. So why do it? First of all, Jesus assumed that we would. Secondly, it is among the most effective weapons we have in our fight against the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Fasting is a God-ordained practice to help us fight the good fight as Paul told his disciple to do. And, And you know, if you read that phrase, fight the good fight, okay, I will. How do I do that? Well, one of the things you do is you fast. That's just a part of it. Now, I have to tell you, I have had some great exposure and experiences to fasting over the course of my Christian life. I have done it, and God has really used it in my life, but I have to confess, I have done it far too little. And I believe with all of my heart that my spiritual maturity has suffered because I have not practiced this as often as I should. So I'm excited about engaging this practice with you. And I am expectant that God will do something in our lives that he chooses not to do any other way. So this is a great opportunity. Now, our battle tactics, spiritually speaking, are varied. But fasting and prayer provide significant, focused opportunities to wage war in particular ways, with particular benefits. And that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. There's four benefits here to fasting that I think will motivate us. It will answer that question, why? So first of all, fasting gives us a great opportunity to repent of sin, to repent of sin. We've talked a lot about repentance over the years in our church, but just as a reminder, repentance literally means turning. So it means turning from that which is opposed to God to that which is in alignment with his heart and his purposes and his will. Repentance is a way of life. It's something that we likely have to do every day. We turn from that which is evil to face and engage that which is good. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Fasting gives us an opportunity to do that. Fasting is a physical, tangible experience of turning away from a lesser thing to turn toward a greater thing. 
It's an opportunity to turn away from things in our lives which are in conflict with God's word. Now, when we think about this turning, it's helpful to know, well, what's God's heart about that? There's a beautiful expression in 2 Chronicles 7.14. I think this has been horribly uh, misinterpreted and misapplied. This was a promise that was given to the people of Israel. But it does give us insight into the heart of God. So listen to this. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, fasting is a humbling exercise, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the possibility on the other side of fasting. As we go to him, we humble ourselves We put off those things that stand in the way of our intimate connection with him. He says, he will hear, he forgives, he heals as we come after him in that way. So the first benefit, the first reason to fast is to repent of sin. The second opportunity we have is to restrain the flesh In Galatians 5, Paul talks about this wrestling match between the flesh and the spirit. And I'm going to just move two verses in order. He has verse 16 and 17. I'm going to flip them, still interpreting it just as he intended. But verse 17, here's what he says. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So, the Spirit, if you are a Christian, if you've entrusted your life to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And the Holy Spirit is always, always, always urging you to do what is in alignment with the heart and will of God. Always. But because you are a sinful person, you have something in you called flesh. We'll talk about that in just a second. But it is always, always, always opposed to the Spirit. Never goes on vacation, never takes a break. There's never a truce. Always opposed to the Spirit of God. And Paul says that's so that you can't do what you want to do. Now, that can be a little confusing. Well, well, what do you mean, what, what I want to do? It means that you want to do both. And both are trying to get you to go the other way. So you and I have a choice to make. We have a thousand choices to make each and every day. Will we go the way of the Spirit or will we go the way of our flesh? Now, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hardest thing in the world to do? 
simplest to understand. (laughs) Just do what the Spirit says and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You can't do both in any single moment. You're gonna go one way or the other. Okay, so flesh, what is this? Eugene Peterson defines it as the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, I cannot recommend that book enough, says this, the flesh is our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially pertaining to sensuality. Defines that as like food and sex, that kind of stuff. But also just to pleasure in general, as well as our instincts for survival, domination, and the need for control. See, flesh has a lot of confidence in itself. It's self-serving. Therefore, always opposed to the spirit which calls us to humbly submit to the will of our maker instead of our own. That is the flesh. Your flesh, my flesh, has a plan for your life and it is diametrically opposed to the plan of the Holy Spirit all the time. I tried to think of what what does that voice sound like? The voice of the flesh. I don't know if you've seen the Google ad. It was a search in 2022. It's basically just pulling all these little video clips from significant moments throughout the year. And it's meant to be inspirational. Lots of wonderful music in the background and just clip after clip after clip after clip. Here's a few of the statements. I think this sounds like the flesh. I'm gonna make a bet on myself. See, that's supposed to be inspirational. Bet on yourself. One gal said, when I was a little girl, all I wanted to see was me in the media. Really? Like that was your highest aim. You just began every day passionately wondering what it would be like to see you in the media. You know what Paul said to one of his churches? I came to you aiming to know nothing, nothing at all, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like, I I don't even care if you remember my name. That's what I want you to know. That's what I thought about. The last thing uh, was Cheryl Lee Ralph, who in her acceptance speech of I think her first Emmy, said, don't you ever, ever give up on you. That's the flesh. You see, the gospel is all about destroying any shred of faith you have in yourself so that you will turn to your God and ask him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's a good contrast of the flesh and the spirit. Paul again in Romans 8 
says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Isn't that what we want? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Jump down to verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, you will live. What a sweet promise. What a sweet encouragement. If you and I will put off and put on, there's life in there each and every day. Comer again in his book says, you don't manage your flesh or simply keep it in check. You launch a militant campaign to kill it. And there's really no better weapon against the flesh than fasting and prayer. When we say no to our stomach, we send a message to our flesh that it can only have what God approves. Thomas Akempis, a 15th century priest, said this, refrain from gluttony. By the way, did you guys know that gluttony is a sin? Like it's on the list. It's not just one of those things that God goes, ah, don't worry about it. Eat all you want to. No, it's actually rebellion against God. Thomas Akempis says, refrain from gluttony and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. How about that? Willpower is involved, like we have to make choices to do this or not do that. Comer says, willpower is at its best when it does what it can which is to direct our body into spiritual practices like fasting so the spirit's power can do what willpower can't, which is overcome the three enemies of the soul. You can't win the battle without first submitting to God. That's where it starts. Ephesians 4, 19 through 24, they, speaking of Unbelievers have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What is that truth? To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, put in flesh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we are fixated on the temporary, the earthly, when that's our primary focus, 
it's really hard to get at these other things that, that relate to God in our spiritual life. Fasting is a grace-infused habit given us by God, which trains us to repent of sin, to restrain the flesh, and then next, renew the heart. Renew the heart. Tony Evans tells a great story, as he's a great storyteller, about two lumberjacks. And uh, the young one challenged the older one to a, a day contest of who could drop the most trees. So the old man says, sure, let's do it. So they go to, go to cutting. And the young man, he's just swinging that axe as often, as many, as hard as he can all day long. And every hour, the old man stops for a few minutes to take a rest. And the young guy's going, I got him. He's, he's wearing out. So they get to the end of the day, and the sun is setting. They sit down, and they count their trees. And the old man just whips him. And, and the young guy, he's just scratching his head. He's going, what in the world? I mean, I never stopped. I, just was, I was just swinging that ax with everything that I had. And the old man looks at him and he says, Son, while you were swinging that dull ax, I was taking a little break to sharpen mine. So there's something about pausing to sharpen our ax, to renew our spirit so that we can fight the good fight in the rest of life. It's very much like a Sabbath rest. Like that's the idea. You stop working and you trust God with that because you know that in that kind of space, he needs to do something in you so that later you'll be able to do something for him. It's a redemptive Disruption. Andrew Murray says this, we are creatures of the senses. Our minds are helped by what comes to us in concrete form. Fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. It's in those moments of pause where we get perspective insight and wisdom. We pray prayers like King David in Psalm 51. By the way, a great psalm to talk about these benefits of fasting. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 139, David prays, search me, O God. That's what you're doing in this moment of renewal. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And surely there is, right? And then lead me in the way everlasting. That's the kind of work that gets done when you're fasting. When you press pause and seek the Lord. Repentance, restraint, and renewal 
clear the way for our fourth benefit, and that is intimate encounters with our Father. We are free to rejoice in the Lord. In our humility, we experience his grace, his mercy, his steadfast love. That's what we find when we put off. We get to put on those things. In our discomfort, we're comforted by his presence. In our physical weakness, we discover his sufficiency and strength, which only he can provide. I think as we practice this, and this is, a, this is a long obedience in the same direction, we find ourselves in uh, Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's on the backside of fasting. It's really a fresh opportunity to find freedom, and I want to I want to challenge you to consider participating in this. We're going to start a 40-day fast tomorrow. It's not mandatory. Nobody's going to check up on you and, and make sure you're doing it. In, in a sense, this is between you and the Lord. But we do have this great opportunity as a community of faith, connecting withward with the body, we get to do it together. And then not only that, something I'm super excited about is we're going to do it with some other churches in town. They're doing the very same thing. So the larger body of Christ is really rallying around this important practice. And we're all going into it expectant, wondering what God might do as we go hard after him. So in this guide, and, and these are available, we've got some physical copies, a limited number, but they're going to be on a table in the lobby. You can click on that QR code and get a digital PDF, and you can follow through that way. But in here is a lot of great explanation around what is fasting and why do we do it, how do we do it, all that kind of stuff. There's a guide in terms of uh, the steps of fasting, the different uh, uh, schedule that we have for various parts of it. And then it's full of devotions, uh, one for each day. And they're all around the attributes of God. And so the idea is that we're pausing around food and other things so that we can focus on who God is and what he's like and what he's done. So there's a devotion every day with scripture and, uh, and a devotional written by one of the church participating churches. So if you look at the schedule... It's broken up into 10-day increments. And throughout it, these are just suggested. You do what you want, seriously. The, the idea is you're putting off something so that you can put on something else. So for their recommended guide says no secular media for 40 days. And then on the 10-day increments, the first 10 days, no meats or sweets. 
You just eliminate that from your meals. In the second 10 days, you go to one meal a day. Once again, this is not mandatory. You don't have to do it just like this. You might just give up a certain food item. That's a partial fast. That's perfectly legitimate and wonderful. The idea is that you're putting off to put on. The third week is like the first week, and the fourth week is like the second. Daily, the putting on part. And this is a habit that Kimberly and I, we're just going to do this every day. You read the Bible passage that's listed in your guide. You read the devotional passage that's provided with it. You pray for 10 minutes just in response to whatever it is you've read. And then you write down one takeaway from your time with God. That's it. The idea is to do it daily, to get a habit in place. Now, if you're putting aside TV, internet, scrolling, streaming, all that, if you're putting that aside, what you're doing is you're making room to do your devotional. And, and here's my challenge to you. Don't trust me. Don't take my word for it. But I put God to the test on that. Say, God, I'm going to set this stuff aside and I'm going to come hard after you and I'm going to trust that you're going to do something in my life. Give that a try for at least 10 days and see what happens. Now, we're going to be encouraging you. We want to ask you to register if you are doing the fast, regardless of exactly how you're doing it. We just want you to be a part of that group on Realm, so register there. And then we'll send some encouragement and all that along the way. Practically speaking, here were, here were Jesus' instructions around fasting. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. This is not for man. This is between you and the Lord. So, when you fast, anoint your head. If you got some oil around the house, wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't know what that'll look like but I know that he's more committed to doing a work in your life than you are. So let's trust him together for that. I came across a prayer that I'm going to be praying daily, and this is just an invitation. This is the posture I want to have as I engage in this fast each and every day. So I'm going to read this prayer out loud. I want to invite you uh, to kind of pray in agreement with me. And then I want you to kind of ask, Lord, how do you want me to engage in this over these next 40 days? Okay? So pray with me. Teach me, O oh God, so to use all the circumstances of my life today that they may bring forth in me the fruits of holiness rather than the fruits of sin. Let me use disappointment as a material for patience. Let me use success 
as material for thankfulness. Let me use suspense as material for perseverance. Let me use danger as material for courage. Let me use reproach as material for long-suffering. Let me use praise as material for humility. Let me use pleasures as material for temperance. And let me use pains as material for endurance. Lord, we invite you to do a good work in us as we lean hard upon you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.